Welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast produced by Three Pillar Global. I'm your host, Jennifer Ives. I've spent my career helping organizations digitally transform through developing revenue generating products that customers engage with and love. Now, I'm sitting down with today's innovators, those on the front lines of digital transformation, to learn how they did it and what they've learned. Hello, and welcome to the Innovation Engine podcast. Today, I'm joined by friend and colleague, Casey Craig, Three Pillars Senior Vice President of our retail portfolio. He and I are thrilled to welcome Eileen Mahoney as our guest today. Eileen has been leading digital innovation in the retail world for decades, and we're excited to hear her perspective on the many shifts in retail technology, not just in the last year, but over the span of her career. Today, Eileen is the Chief Information Officer at PVH, the parent company of household brand names such as Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein, Izod, Jeffrey Bean, and more. Before taking on this role, she was PBH's Senior Vice President of Technology and previously led digital initiatives as the CIO at Edison Learning, Barnes & Noble, and was the Vice President of Application Development at Macy's. Eileen, welcome. We are thrilled to be speaking with you today. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to be here today, Jennifer. Excellent, excellent. Let's get right into it because we have a number of things that we'd like to talk about and such rich discussion to host. So how has the role of the CIO changed since you began your career? You know, as we joke, in the beginning, it was all about technology. It was about bringing corporate platforms to life in terms of financial solutions or processing purchase orders. And over the course of the years, it really has become about using the information, enabling functions, and really allowing it to be a solution set versus a technology that people use. The expectation also is, from a CIO's perspective, that you really understand how the solutions will help drive and enable the business, whatever that business is, whether it's trying to streamline or shorten the supply calendar, or whether it is to figure out the trends that consumers are doing in an e-com world. Or most recently, I would say our MarTech stack is probably the newest. Marketing always was agency and it was more along the lines of you know creating that uh, campaign now it's about are you close to your customer do you actually understand what's going on with that consumer what are what are they thinking how are they reacting to the brand and you really have started to see it's much less the technical aspects of the role. And it really is more about solution and enabling business process and business strategy. It's also trying to, from an associate experience, get rid of all of the manual work and see if you can really give them tools that really empower them and streamline how they do their job on a day in and day out basis. You know, years ago, I would say if I was, you know, in the late 90s, 
and on an airplane, which hopefully someday I will will do again. It really was the the IT people who had their laptops. Now, you know, it's an extension of people's arms. And it really is that introduction to how people operate. And you as the CIO have to continue to think about how that associate experience comes to life, how that consumer experience comes to life and continue because there's always new solutions coming out. So you really have to to understand what's going on in people's heads and deliver solutions at times before they even realize they need them. So, so, so Eileen, I think it's... um. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's become more of a business role as opposed to a technology role, and, and that shift's very evident. Um, I think the average tenure of a CIO is four years. In retail, it's probably a lot less than that. Uh, you've been in that role for eight years, which is astounding. I mean, astounding. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. You know, without giving away your secrets in case you want to write a book in, in the future and, and be a number one seller on Amazon. Can you talk a little bit about your, your tenure and, and, and your successes and, and how you've been so successful in that role for, for so long? I would think the first thing is probably how I go about listening and understanding what the business is trying to accomplish, not necessarily what they're asking for, also, I think I'm pretty humble in terms of what the strategy may be. So I'll ask questions, also look at understanding where a support role. You know, people are, for us to be able to add value, we really need to actually do that. So I would say starting to look at, you know, from the technology side, we first had a lot of solutions. Some of them were really good, some of them weren't. And acknowledging that, you know, we did not have the perfect landscape and saying that, but then also partnering, I think, with the business leads to get them to think a little bit differently also. And that partnership that went back and forth. I think the other thing too is, is that I do have the the ability to be able to articulate the vision and to get people to see what that vision is and to encourage my technology leadership team along those lines also so that we look at it as, to your point earlier, it's not about the technology, it's really about the solution and that yes, we can bring that technology to life so at times I feel like I, I'm a Jekyll and a Hyde because I can sit in a business meeting and talk about what capabilities we need to bring to life. And at times people ask me, well, when did you move into technology? I've always been in, in the technology side. And then you're sitting with your engineers or you're sitting with the infrastructure folks. And then you really have to talk about capacity and you have to, uh, you know, on demand what we need to do from a re-engineering process. And you need to balance both of them. But you also have to realize, which I think is part of my success, is hiring people that are a lot smarter than I am and really allowing them to build the strategy, empowering them, and setting 
continuing to raise the bar because there is so much that we've done, but there's so much that if I look at my vision is still to come and delivering. So you get to keep your job, but also then to be able to show what's still to come has, I think, given me, you know, the success and the tenure that I, I've had to date. And it's not done yet. And, and they know that. So I think because I've delivered also has given me the license to, to, to continue that journey there. Yeah, I love you. You're only as good as the people around you. Um, so I, I love that that philosophy because it's it's so true. So so 2020 was an interesting year uh, for the world. I think specifically for the retail industry, based on on the pandemic and and, and the changes in the way people shopped. How did PBH focus or shift from the focus of the online, or sorry, the in-store shopping experience to the online shopping experience. And how did that play out? Because, you know, obviously in, in, in retail, you know, the stores and the store accounts, and it, it takes a lot of um, a lot of bandwidth to manage, you know, systems and peoples across thousands and thousands of locations. When you don't need to do that, what was the shift like? And, and, and how did you go about it? Yeah, so... Many retailers will say March of 2020 was just an unprecedented time. You know, March 19th, 20, we had 95% of our stores closed globally. Retail stores are not meant to be closed. Not only are they meant for sales, but it's also a social, you know, shopping is a social experience. You want people into those stores. And we were always somebody who focused more on brick and mortar. We, we had an e-com channel. We, we had, a, a, you know, started to increase the sales, but it wasn't a primary focus. The primary focus really was our wholesale partners and their stores or our retail stores. And not only are we closed, but our wholesale stores are closed. And we started to now see that because we have strong brands, the consumer did start to go shop online. And when we started to shop online, we all of a sudden started to sell out of a lot of the comfort, you know, everything that everybody's heard. People wanted to be comfortable. You're working from home. And now we've gotten the traffic to the e-com site. It's a great digital experience. We now have an inventory challenge because we can keep up with the demand. And we had to then start to look at, well, wait a minute, our retail stores could become mini distribution centers. How is it that we now started to look at in the ecosystem where that you know hero product, the demand product that people wanted, how do we make sure that we now were able to unlock that inventory, which was a huge change for us. So as we started to look at you know, using order management, order orchestration tools to allow us to say, hey, you know, here's some stores, they have inventory, let's now use that inventory. But then there's the business model of, well, 
Are you going to do multiple split shipments? Because each shipment costs money. So we had to work with the business in terms of, you know, the business rules that they wanted the, the, the technology solution to follow. But we also then had to explain to store associates, they now became pickers and packers, which they used to think is just the DC. Now it's, we need them to be able to go in, take these orders, fulfill the orders, make sure you're doing it in a way that's brand appropriate. And we got all that. We started to go through and say, our, okay, our digital site needs to be the best representation of the brand. So what did we need to also do to the e-com site while it's the busiest channel in the company, but continue to upgrade all of the features and functions so it really digitally represented the brand so well. And then at the same time, stores started to open back up. So we also had a little bit of a challenge as to, well, whose inventory is it? Because now the stores wanted to be able to sell their product and they didn't necessarily want to be using their inventory to fill an e-commerce order. So it also, we had to take a look at the business model and look at, you know, how did the business model need to shift? How did we need to look at, you know, where our consumer was shopping, fulfill that, you know, basically have a total seamless pool of inventory to be able to react to that. And in certain cases, yes, share in the sale so that the e-com, you know, team felt like they were benefiting, the store team felt like they were benefiting. And at the same time, look at the trends of where the consumer was going, because we found that for basic items, they preferred to shop online. It was easier. You're on your couch. You can go through and, and whether it's you, you want, you know, your, your new Calvin underwear, you want a particular gene that you feel comfortable with, you can order. And then there was the, oh, there's new, it's spring. I want to be able to, to go outside. So we, we also had to look at and provide the business with really very powerful insights as to how they should start to potentially distribute product a little differently than they had today. And then you also had to deal with then stores closed. And then how did they open? And so we actually also had to come with a shop from home. So we put together an app that allowed people to, you know, associates to be in a store, but somebody to be home and shop what was going on in the store. Never mind the commerce site, because the commerce site wasn't a hundred percent, you know, a a vision of all the product, and it really showed people's ingenuity, their creativity. You know, we talk about you know agile mindset. People really started to look at boundaries aside, what really needed to keep the company going and afloat. And the ideas that came out, we made progress in weeks and months that would have taken years as a as a result a result of COVID. So, so I um I I think <laughs> I think your job is going to get a lot more challenging with with the speed that that you delivered you know in the past year. So that you know the 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 CEOs the companies like wait well, Bopis 
you guys implemented that in three months. Why Why was it going to take 14 months in 2018 or 2019? So I think that's going to be a, a very interesting shift. But to some of the things you were talking about, some of the innovation and, and, and some of the ways that you you really changed and shifted from that in-store to, to online or to e-commerce experience, how's that reshaping the company in the future? Are you, you know, are some of those capabilities that you've enabled because the stores were were closed, are those going to continue? So the micro fulfillment aspects of it and, and all those, there's great ideas that you you, you had to to implement to, to 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 really, you know, stay in business. Is that going to continue? Yeah, you 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 know, we joke around, you never let a good crisis go go to waste. And absolutely, you know, what we found is, you know, the digital transformation is here to stay. How people, and and it's not just the technology, but it is the operating model that had to get addressed also. And to your point, things that people weren't sure were going to work, now you've proven that they have. So we now have a much more aggressive target for what the e-com sales channel should bring into the company. You also are trying to understand how comfortable people are feeling when it's time to go back to stores and trying to measure. And we used to have very large stores. And do you need that big of a footprint? And how to balance what you need to have in store to what is should be online? And then again, the customer's expectation of do they want to go shopping? Do they want to sit on their couch? What is it that they want to do? So all of the benefits that we've come with managing orders, you know, being able to use the stores as a distribution center, whether it's store to store, buy online, pick up in store, curbs, all of that is here to stay. Now it's how do you continue to evolve those? based on what we're doing, because you found even for Christmas, you know, with everyone being very concerned about last mile delivery, all of a sudden our stores picked up and the traffic in the store really was unbelievable from the 22nd and the 23rd because people were doing things at the last minute and they needed something, they needed to have it. So we've also tried to see what you know, what's going on from a consumer insights perspective that will allow us to continue to evolve the retail model and retail, not just being store, but it really is, you know, I know it's an overused word, but, you know, that omni-channel, we've said connected, you know, connected commerce. How does each area play into the strategy and then how do we make sure that the business model and the technology supports that connected commerce model to allow people to truly buy however they want to buy as long as they're buying our brands? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I believe it, the, the pandemics forced people to shop in a different way, in a way that they might not have been in, in the past. I, I use the example quite a bit uh, in the grocery industry. You know. Many people would never buy groceries online and have them delivered to their home, right? Because they want to go in, they want to touch the product, they want to make sure that you know they're getting the right cantaloupe or the right, you know, the pepper looks right or the meat looks right. And and, and through this experience, 
people were forced to to shop that way, and they found that it was not a bad experience. And in some of the you know some of the surveys and results have come back, people are like, "Wow, that was kind of cool," and I saved a bunch of time. I didn't have to go to the store; it just showed up on my 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 doorstep, and the fruit looked okay. And and so it, it kind of forced people into that different. Um, mode of shopping, which they actually enjoyed. And I feel like they're going to continue to do that because it was a, a pleasant experience. Do you feel you know, the same the, way? Yeah. I was going to say to follow up on that, we've, we've done some polls, even just within, within the, the PBH associates and saying, okay, you know, Christmas of 2019, how did you shop? Christmas 2020, how did you shop? And people who said, to your point, they had never shopped online, especially for clothing and apparel, because it's very difficult. It's easy to say, I'm, I'm going to buy AirPods. You know exactly the brand. You know what you're getting. When it comes to, to clothing, apparel, footwear, people do. It's the fit. It's, you know, do I like the fabric, the texture? It's all about the touch and feel. People were shocked. One, they didn't have a choice. But as they started to, there is definitely things that they were saying that they probably would not actually go to a store for any longer, that they would be very comfortable with ordering online and being and receiving it. What we've also seen, though, is to do that, we also have to do a better job on our sites of making sure from a size perspective or from a product description perspective, when they didn't feel comfortable, we asked why. So how is it that, and using some of the digital innovation, can we start to to bring the product to life a little bit more in the digital space, showing whether it's product detailing, trim, or how movable or breathable a particular fabric is, because we started to ask them what would stop them from doing the online experience. And at the same point, then there are things that we do want people to come to our stores for, and we do want that that great impulse buying. And But we also realize that we have to make sure that it's now just not shopping. It has to be the right experience, because if the environment isn't right, you're only going to get one, maybe two times to be able to have them come back into the store. And if they don't feel comfortable, whether it's as a result of the precautions that we're taking from a COVID perspective or the product isn't, you know, isn't displayed correctly, then why not? And that's the difference, because usually when you go to a store, it's the experience. But we also realize that we have to make it experience when you're shopping online also. So you're you're basically getting and you try to get into the consumer's head. You know, what are they? What's their mind? I have to say for myself, you know, I'm sitting there and if I can order online now and it's amazing, especially during COVID, it felt like it was it was holiday every day because boxes were coming to the house. It was exciting. <laughs> it broke up some of the monotony. But at the same time, then it was when I was able to go out, it really did feel like an occasion. And so you want to keep that excitement going. And that's part of the mix that we're going to have to continue to to figure out as the new norm comes to be. 
Yeah. It's yeah. always customer led, right? So it's it's what what's the customer want and, and how can you meet those expectations? And yeah, absolutely right. And on that, so customer-led, how can you meet the customer expectation, the digital transformation piece, especially over the last 12 to 14 months? I, I couldn't, I, we can't have a conversation without also asking a question and talking a little bit about artificial intelligence and AI and some of the new digital innovations, cutting edge innovations that, that PVH is really digging into. Can you talk a little bit about and share some of, some of your thoughts and, and how you're leveraging AI and other cutting edge innovations? Yeah, you know, there, there's one thing that there's a catchphrase that, you know, retail is detail. You know, we have so much data, not sure it's all relative, but we have so much data that how do you use it? So, you know, with, you know, some of the tools that we've brought in in line in terms of like, you know, Salesforce's customer cloud solutions using you know their einstein capability to actually look at patterns and trends the volume of data is so large that no individual would be able to do it but you're also looking at trends as we said how somebody shopped everybody in retail always looks at last year or you know i need two years of history or three years of history if the pandemic has taught us anything is what was a year ago does not necessarily make sense or is the pattern today. So having too much history and people making decisions was actually not the best thing to do. So we started to look at trends and patterns and using AI in terms of, first of all, consumer behavior. We were also looking at it to go through what the, the recent size grids were that were in people's baskets, whether it was in store or whether it was online, because everybody has that COVID-15. So are we looking at and were the size sizes that we were now bringing on board, did that represent really the population? Because you probably made some of those decisions you know, 12 to 18 months ago, that may not hold. And it was very interesting, even how you would allocate and using some of the AI tools to say, okay, you normally would allocate this way. The recommendation, and we had to get them to trust the recommendation because, you know, it's that combination of art and science. You can use whether it's AI or machine learning or any of the, the current tools but you also then have to get them to trust the data. So we had to do a number of things that said, if you were gonna do it yourself, exactly how you would do it. Okay, now we're going to set up the solutions, the various technologies to run that. Here's your artificial intelligence engine. Do you agree with how it was configured, set up to do the analysis? Yes. So then when the results came out, and it wasn't what they expected, we then said, well, maybe that's, and now as you start to have clean data and they can test it, they're also realizing that maybe the decisions that are coming out with using some of these tools may be the trends or the decisions that they need to go you know, move forward with. So it's been it's been very interesting to to look at that. 
and even looking at various innovation tools that we need to be able to continue. So if somebody is shopping online, how do you use live streaming to give them that runway feel for them to really see not only the product, but potentially how it's worn in, you know, with a group of people so that they can actually see the full technology set that's out there. Um, We're looking at everything from an innovation perspective to see how it will add value, how it will, will, will be allowing us to have the business think a little bit differently. Because part of it also is that mindset shift because technology is always an enabler and we don't want to replace people's creativity, but we want them to be able to spend time on what they really need to spend time on and use the technology to actually enable all of that and it's it's been a very interesting couple of months in going through those conversations. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I it, something that you said kind of triggered a, a thought in my mind. I I I believe you know it's about the shopping journey. It's about the customer experience. And 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 my my thought is is people are going to want to start that journey more frequently now, being at home and, and really using you know using some of those technologies to potentially start the journey at home, but still go to the store to end the journey. So, you know, creating a basket and saying, I like these things and this is my size and kind of building the basket and then actually going to the the brick and mortar store to try to try the clothes on, um, which I think potentially is a great opportunity for retailers because the store associates that can see that can start accessorizing and start adding stuff that that the person might like based on those those initial selections that that started online. Is is, is that something that you you feel is going to happen as as those lines kind of blur between the online and the in store experience? We we actually are starting to do a, a test along those lines in Asia because people are now coming out and we want to be able to. Say if if you want to try it on, we first of all we want to have it ready for you. So we're we're going to value your time, but yes, we are also going to complement what you may have had in your basket with other pieces that we feel would complete an uh, complete an outfit. We also are also looking at again the social aspects of it. So we've had you know do we go through and have them put it out on, um, you know, Facebook or the, you know, in in China, WeChat, so they can get immediate feedback from their friends as to does that outfit look good? Because again, that's all about the experience these days, you know, very rarely, and it's definitely generational, but very rarely do, you know, people under 30 just buy something without asking a friend you know, or a group of friends, what do you think? They're also reading all the reviews. So it's so important to make sure that if they are going to the store, part of the review is what a great experience it was. Not just that the jeans fit well, but it was fun. And a sales associate also selected certain items that were the perfect match. So we are trying to figure out how best to blend it and really allow the consumer to to choose the channel that they want to shop 
But to have that, you know, and Casey, as you called it, that seamless experience of if I put things in my cart that I that I favor, that I want, how do I get to a store and have it ready for me? And we're just starting that, but we believe that that really is going to be very key to giving that right consumer experience that people will expect in the coming years. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the the March numbers just came out for retail, and it looks I think it was a, a nine point three increase in, in in sales for for March of twenty twenty one. There's this concept out there called revenge spending. I, I like to kind of spin it a little bit and say, well, it's kind of revenge shopping, right? You know, based on on what retail has gone through in twenty twenty. That that concept of revenge shopping and, and going out and, and wanting to to be in brick and mortar stores and wanting to have that experience again is, is something that's been talked about. What, what are your thoughts behind that? Have you seen any indications, you know, globally of of that truly being a thing in retail? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when China was able to open up and the restrictions were lifted we clearly saw that revenge shopping. People were out, our stores were busier than we had anticipated, and people really were shopping. They, Whether it was a feeling of freedom that they were out, they were, were excited about it. And we were very surprised at how busy and how productive the stores were because people were doing that. We've also seen it in Europe as stores have closed as a result of the second round of COVID. As they've opened back up, people want to be out. They want to be able to be in store and have that experience. And, you know, most recently, whether it's the round of stimulus checks that have come through in the U.S., you've seen people out. But even now we're finding as the company starts to open back up, or I should say the country starts to open back up, people are now able to go to events. So we're now seeing people out there because people are going to start to go to weddings, whether they're close, current clothes fit or they don't fit, or they just want to be excited because it's now an experience to go out. Suits and dress shirts, which really were non-existent in terms of sales numbers, are now starting to pick up. And I think as the weather is getting nicer, people are feeling a little bit more comfortable. Definitely see that our sales are picking up still very strong in the digital space, but in store, absolutely. And we see the foot traffic really increasing, especially in outdoor areas where people still are feeling more comfortable but definitely think people are looking just for something new to, to give them that pickup and, and hopefully, uh, you know, kick off the spring summer, uh, with, with new clothes. Yeah. And it's amazing. I think it's a, it's a big relief to see that store traffic and those sales numbers, you know, that coming out in March and, and what you've personally experienced because it, it was such a rough <laughs> 2020. So it's, it's great to hear. Um, it's, that's, that's amazing news. So, so as we start to close out our conversation, we always like to ask the same four questions of our Innovation Engine podcast guests. So here we go. You ready for the speed round, Eileen? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Casey, kick us off. 
I will kick it, kick it off. Um, so, so what is your favorite piece of technology? You know, I feel like, I feel like a kid, but I have to say my iPhone, I can listen to music. I can shop. I can text. I can find out what's going on in the world. And every once in a while, I actually make a phone call with it. <laughs> so then I feel like a kid too, because I would have answered the same question. Um, answer the question the same way. I, I, I don't know. I was without my iPhone for, you know, four hours or five hours yesterday. It was painful. Absolutely <laughs> painful. <laughs> um, it, on that iPhone, what, what app do you, what's your go-to app? What, what app do you use, use the most? I would say from a professional side, it's LinkedIn. You know, being able to connect with peers is is very good. I mean, love the the texting features. Um, it's a quick way to touch, you know, to to take a, a pulse of what's going on with with friends and family. And you know, also I got to say, no, that that Amazon shopping bug. You know, when when it it's able to come quickly. You know, it's been a go-to recently. Yeah. It's real. It's real. It's a real thing. What is what was your first interaction or memory related to technology? It's come so far, right? I mean, now we're all we all have these iPhones, but what was your first kind of attraction or interaction with technology? Yeah, and um, I'm definitely dating myself, but I was so very excited when I was leaving uh, home after high school and going away to college to have my own electric typewriter where I would, and and it's self-corrected. So where I was able to think that I was really so cool and that getting ready in college and, and typing all those papers that, you know, yes, yes, you actually had to have paper and ribbon and correct the type and all of that, which seems so antiquated now, but I was so excited and proud to have my own electric typewriter. And it automatically my, corrected. <laughs> my, my, my experience, and, and same, I mean, and in college, I used the typewriter and, and my experience always was I wouldn't pick up on the mistakes until, you know, after I typed the page. So I spent more time, I was a political science major, so obviously wrote a lot of papers. I spent more time typing than I actually did writing the paper. It was, it was, it was painful. So, you know, thank goodness for uh, <laughs> where we are today. Kids have it easy. They do, they do. My goodness. Eileen, when talking with other business leaders as well as students and future leaders, what's the one piece of advice that you found helpful personally or that you learned throughout your career that might be helpful to someone else? I would say, and it took a while, you don't need to be perfect. You know, you will make mistakes along the way. That's okay as long as you learn from those mistakes. But don't feel like you have to have it perfect each time. You will learn from everything and, uh, you know, give yourself a little slack every once in a while. Yeah, that's a, it, that's a good one. And it is one that um, takes a little while to learn, it takes many years in a career to learn. And if you could just, you know, someone in high school and in college, if we could, we could get everyone to really accept that and, and understand it earlier in their lives and in their careers, I think everyone would be um, a, a much more powerful leader early on in their career, as well as just have a much happier life personally and professionally. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, good. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for sharing some insights with our community. What's the best way to get in touch with you? You mentioned LinkedIn professionally. Is that a good way that if someone listens to the podcast and they'd like to reach out, is that a good way to get in touch with you? Absolutely. I, I, I think it's a, it's a phenomenal professional network that, you know, allows us to really stay connected and provide some great insights to, to each other. So yes, you know, please look me up on LinkedIn. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Eileen, thank you very much for being a guest today. Thank you for spending time with us and continued success in your role and continued success with for and with PVH. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at threepillarglobal.com. Three